0: Nights are scariest for me, well, because I'm sleeping and I'm always afraid I might miss something.
1: Hi, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to episode five of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by jpodcast.org, an organization coming soon to bring high quality Jewish content to the podcasting world. To sponsor or dedicate an episode, you can reach out at at gmail.com. I'm also really excited and a little nervous to share that we just set up a Patreon page for the podcast. You can find us at patreon.com slash humanandholy. Your support literally makes each episode happen. So thank you. In today's episode, I interview Ita Kotler, who is a dear family friend and my middle school Hasidic teacher. So we go way back. Ita takes us on her journey with B'itachon, the way she wrestled with trusting in God when the rug was pulled from beneath her feet six years ago. And as she is continuously tested daily. What struck me most about my conversation with Ita was the dialogue she has going on with God. Ita is showing up. She does not claim to have a firm hold on mitachon, though I might venture to disagree. <laughs> Regardless, it is evident that it is something she engages with constantly. If you struggle with trusting God in the big or small details of your life, I think this episode will be really special to you. Bitachon can be a difficult road to travel. Ita's story is the story of someone who travels that road every single day.
0: Hi, I'm Ita Kotler. I live in Houston, Texas, and I'm a middle school Hasidic teacher and a birth doula. My husband, Daniel, and I have four beautiful children, Nasan, Mendel, Hani, and Aryeh. I'm just going to tell you really fast about my kids because I think it will give context to some of what we might discuss today. Mendel and Aryeh were born with a really rare genetic disease called glycogen storage disease. It's a metabolic liver disorder. And the main danger or symptom of the disease is hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. It's managed by frequent carbohydrate feedings throughout the night and day, every few hours. Skipping or missing a carbohydrate feeding could be very dangerous So it's a huge responsibility to be on top of that. It doesn't consume us, but it's definitely the background of what goes on every day for us. A little over six years ago, Mendel experienced a very severe hypoglycemic overnight incident and he was in a coma in the hospital for two weeks and he passed away a few days before Sukkot of that year. He was 13 years old. We had just celebrated his bar mitzvah a few weeks earlier. And I feel like I need to explain that this disease shouldn't be fatal. It doesn't have to be fatal. We know about the dangers and we knew there was a reality of potential danger, but we never dreamed this could happen. And what happened with Mendel and the fact that Aryeh has that same disease has definitely colored and shaped my relationship with Hashem and my relationship with my trust in Hashem, it's created significant struggles for me that I struggle with daily. And I'll tell you more about that in a little. So Tanya, you asked me to pick a topic of Chassidus that I would want to chat about. And you know that because I replied to you that there were a whole bunch of topics fleeting through my head that are really fun to talk about and things that I am more comfortable teaching, for example, but I fell on a topic that is going to be a little less fun to talk about and probably a little more human and real. So it's scary that I chose this topic, but I think that it's going to be more real. So just briefly, we landed on the topic of emuna and Bitachon, which translated as Faith and Trust. But in Torah and in Hasidic in specific, it's really hard to pick a topic to talk about without talking about lots of other topics. Like you can't talk about faith in Hashem without talking about who he is and why I'm here and Hashgalka Pratis, divine providence, and humility and miracles and nature. And it's so intertwined that it's hard to even separate. But I'm going to do my best because the last few days since we spoke about this, I have been thinking a lot about our chat and what I would want to share and what I should share. So
1: here we are. Thank you. And I'm really grateful, Ita, that you chose a topic that's really real to you because I feel that it's really meaningful to hear from someone who's actually had to deal with this in a really life-transforming way, not with the small stuff, but with something really big. So...
0: I appreciate that. But that is something I'm going to talk about also, that it's a lot of our faith and trust has to lie in the small stuff also, but we'll get there. Okay. So tell us what you're going to talk about. The topic. So Emunah and the source of having faith and trust in Hashem goes as far back as the Torah itself, Tanakh, the five books, way back. We talk about Avraham believing in Hashem, believing that Hashem existed. And that's what kind of defines him as the first Jew. And then you move a little forward to B'nai Israel in post-Egypt. And it says of Moshe Abdo, they believed in God and in Moshe his servant. So throughout Tanakh, you have references to Jewish people believing in the existence of God. And then you move forward to about a thousand years ago. Sorry, I'm jumping a little bit to kind of keep it concise so we can get to the juicy stuff. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so about a thousand years ago, the Rambam, Maimonides in his 13 principles of faith, a number of them reference belief and faith and trust in Hashem. And it's fundamental. And I think the Rambam's teachings were more of the basis for all future discussions about faith and trust and existence of God. And then you go to a little more recent, a few hundred years ago, you reach the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement and the teacher of Chassidus, as well as the Altarebbe who wrote the Tanya and other Hasidic works. And they kind of took the topic of Amun Bitachon and examined it a little more deeply and in all its nuances and how it really comes out practically. Because I think that when you look at the 13 principles of faith, you read these principles of faith and they're a little esoteric and they're just a little cerebral. And then, I mean, not to say that Hasidus and Tanya are not cerebral, they're very cerebral, but I think that it's, presented in a way and can be learned in a way to make it really practical. And I think that that's what's special. And in addition to that, the Baal Shem Tov and the Altarebbe really took belief and faith and trust in God to a really daily level by focusing on the nuances of Hashkacha Pratis and as it relates to Emunah Bitachon, meaning God's involvement in the details of our everyday life and how that lends itself to trust in God.
1: Oh, that's a good point to focus on.
0: Yeah. So that's my little intro. So a little more about myself before we get to my story. My story doesn't start with me. Nobody's does. So growing up, my parents both come from families of Holocaust survivors. My dad was born in Bergen-Belsen. So our (laughs) beginning is rooted in faith. Oh, nice. And struggle. But I mean, my parents have always struggled in a variety of ways, financially, some health issues, I've never known my parents to not be struggling with something and I've also never known my parents to be unhappy or unfaithful. And growing up in a house like that, both my parents, especially my mother, having this very natural and humble trust, like she expected nothing for herself and she was always happy and always struggling and always happy. So I know it's possible, that's how I know. I also know your mother. So we both know that it's possible.
1: Yeah, it is possible. But do you think it's possible for everyone? Like no matter what you're given? The short answer is yes. Is it possible? Yeah.
0: Is it possibly going to be one of the hardest things somebody's going to ever have to do? Yeah. Yeah, so my mother's a really humble and calm person. And I don't know if that is because she has so much faith or if that's what lets her have so much faith. Either way, I could probably work on humility a little more. And I think that that will also... Open up doorways for my faith. So let's focus on Emuna and Bitachon. So Emuna is faith and Bitachon is trust. Emuna is I believe God is here. I believe He created the world. I believe He is supervising it. And I believe He is all capable. I believe God can do anything, right? And I think most people are cool with that. Most God-fearing, God-knowledgeable people are okay with that. It's a comfortable place to be. I like knowing that he's here and he can do anything. And bitachon is trust. And trust is next level. It's the practical part. It's the stuff that comes out when we are in some places we would have not chosen to be. And that's why it's trust. I mean, as kids, we all did the trust fall. Can our friends catch us? Can their arms physically catch us? Yeah. But will they? I don't know. Let's fall and find out. Right. So that's where we are with God, knowing he can and believing he will. Ooh. Faith, trust. He can and he will. So I used to think when I was younger that Emuna, faith, right? We learn that faith is not within reason. That's why it's called faith, because you can't rationalize it. So I used to think that perhaps it was, you know, when we couldn't reason with something or didn't have the intellectual capacity to reason something. So, okay, you can't do that. Well, I guess we'll have faith. And that makes it sound cheap. And as I've grown and lived a little more, I realized that it doesn't take the place of rationale and intellect. It transcends it because we are required to think and study, and learn, and understand about God and our relationship with him. But at some point, when you reach high enough, you're not falling, but you're flying. It's like that faith is at that point where you can't reason anymore, not because for lack of ability, because he's too big. So I think we have to, first of all, shift that a little bit, where faith is not what we end up falling on when we can't think it's once we have thought through everything that's where we end up and it's on the top of the ladder and that's where we get to so that's amuna and amuna like i said before it feels comfortable it's nice it's warm it's knowing god is here and around us and involved in our life and it just feels good and that's why it's such an easy comfortable place to be and bitachon is a little harder Bitachon is, like we said before, when I am drowning, knowing, not hoping that he'll save me, but knowing that he will. So like I imagine for most people, emuna comes easier to me than Bitachon. I'll tell you the truth. Tanya, I taught you, and I've been teaching for a number of years now. And what I usually teach is middle school girls, and I teach different Hasidic topics. So I've been teaching for about 21 years, but a few years ago, I did take a break for a few years for a number of reasons. I had a baby and we were going through some personal stuff and I took a few years off and school was asking me to come back. And I agreed to in a shorter capacity, a smaller capacity than I had been, but I agreed to, and it was terrifying to me because I felt like the person that I was right before I took my break, I wasn't that person anymore. I felt like my relationship with Hashem had changed and I didn't want to feel false in the classroom with my students. My relationship with Hashem didn't get worse. I don't want to make it sound like that, but it definitely changed. Maybe it felt like I had a young, immature relationship. And then, like with any relationship, you go through some stuff together and your relationship changes and you could come out stronger on the other side, which I pray is where I come out. So it's very important to me. When I walk into a classroom at the beginning of the year and then a few times throughout the year, I remind the girls that I am not there to preach to them. I'm not there to tell them what to do because I've mastered it. On the contrary, I'm there to learn with them. I'm there to hopefully grow in my own ways through learning with them. And it's really important to me that when I speak to people, whether it's my students or anybody else, that they know that because I feel more honest that way. Of all the subjects in the world that I learn or teach, I love Chassidus. I love Tanya. It's ironic because so, so many of the topics are things I struggle with. (laughs) So it's really funny, but I guess we're drawn to what we need. You know, like they say, like people who are drawn to eat certain foods or kids who are drawn to eat certain foods, you need those minerals that are in that food or those vitamins. You don't know that. You don't know what your body needs, but, oh, I want to eat spinach today. Okay, I guess I need some iron. I don't know. Your body knows. So maybe my soul is like that. Maybe I am deficient in all these areas, and that's why I'm drawn to it.
1: And also, I think that no one has mastered any of these ideas. The question is, is if you're dealing with a challenge that's big enough to put it into such clear terms in front of you, which is that you haven't mastered it. I don't think any of us have mastered Vita The question is, is have you been dealt something from God that you have to really practice bitachon in?
0: Well, and funny so- you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in small ways, growing up and getting married and having kids, and we've all dealt with areas that we have to have bitachon in. Every week, probably multiple times a week, we can all think of an example where things didn't go the way we wanted to, and we had a choice to like fall apart or get up and keep going and say, okay, you know what? It's for the best. And some of those things are going to be a lot harder than others and a lot more challenging. And for a while, I thought that I was dealing pretty well with challenging moments and exercising my faith and trust. And then I hit the most challenging moment of our lives about six years ago, a little over six years ago. Our son, Mendel, our second son, we have four children, and our second son, Mendel, experienced a severe hypoglycemic incident related to an underlying metabolic condition he had. And he was in a coma in the hospital. And everything I thought I knew, everything I thought I had experienced kind of dissolved. But at that moment, I mean, as soon as he went into the hospital, Daniel and I looked at each other and everything that we had learned, everything we heard, everything we knew, flooded into us, both of us, we felt this overwhelming sense of certainty. We know Hashem is good and we know he can do anything outside of nature, inside of nature. We know and everything's going to be good. And we were really sure of it. I mean, we were sitting in the hospital planning parties. We were writing the TED talk that Mendel was going to give. Wow. About his experience. I remember, Tanya, you were there. Your family was there. It wasn't a thought process for us. It wasn't like we went through some motions and some thoughts and landed on this conclusion that, okay, you know what? Let's have trust. Let's trust Hashem. It was the only obvious outcome in our mind. And we were just sure of it. And it felt so good. There was no reason for us to doubt Him. I mean, He's done bigger things. It was so obvious. And then that reality that we were certain about, didn't happen the way we thought it would. Were we wrong? Should we not have trusted? Was our bitachon misplaced at all? No. I don't regret for one second, I don't regret those two weeks of sitting near Mendel planning parties. I don't regret it. I don't regret knowing that things were going to be good. I'm so grateful and happy that that's how we spent those two weeks. I don't know this for sure, but I think that if we hadn't been in that place of trust those couple of weeks, we would be in a different place now in terms of maybe carrying on Mendel's legacy. There's so many things that happened, amazing things that mitzvahs around the world that happened while Mendel was in the hospital that wouldn't have happened if we didn't think for sure that he was coming home. So... I'm grateful for that, but at the same time, I'm a little jealous of that person that I was for those two weeks. I often dream about feeling that again, and if I can, that level of certainty, of trust, of this is on you, God, and I know it's going to be good. And I really struggle with that a lot because I felt it then, and I want to feel it again. So I find this next thought that I've kind of developed for myself, it comes up when people talk about severe struggle. I mean, when people talk about the Holocaust, or like in our case, losing a child, and the depth and the breadth of question. And this is where I've landed. I have a lot of questions. I'm not content with a lot of the choices God has made. (laughs) I don't agree with all the choices he's made. So then I think to myself, okay, what if I understood everything he did? What if I knew the reason behind it all? That would terrify me. What kind of God would that be if I got him, if I knew what was behind everything he did? Is that the kind of God I want? So I take comfort in the fact that I want a God who I don't understand. He's got to be that much bigger than me to be my God. And one of the places I find the biggest comfort is just knowing that I want somebody so much bigger and stronger than me taking care of me. You don't want the wimpy guy trying to carry you if you broke your leg. And the fact that I can't and will never understand Hashem till I am in the place of understanding is probably the only real comfort I have right now.
1: But what do you do, Ito, when the strong guy is, is carrying you, but he's taking you where you don't want to go?
0: What if that strong guy has been in your life forever and has done so many beautiful things for you and 98% of what he's done for you has been magnificent? How do you not trust somebody like that? <laughs>
1: Oh my god.
0: You know, I thought of something else. <laughs> I was lying in bed last night. I was literally almost falling asleep. And I said, Modaani. And Daniel says, What? <laughs> I'm lying in bed, falling asleep. I said, Moda'ani. I said, every morning we thank Hashem. Modaani Lafanaha Malachai Vikayam Shah Hazar Nishmasi for returning our soul to us. Rabba Munasachad, your faithfulness is great. God, you have so much faith in me. You're bringing me back today. I messed up yesterday and I'm back today. And every single day he does that. And I was thinking to myself, don't we kind of owe him the same courtesy? He believes in us enough to bring us back every day. How dare we turn around and go, oh God, you messed up with me last week. So now I'm not going to bring you back. Who are we? He trusts us enough to bring us back every day. And I was thinking, well, maybe we can do the same to him. That was my falling asleep thought, which also got me thinking of reciprocity. And one of the other subjects I cover when I teach is the reciprocity of the universe and of Hashem in the world and the reflection of heaven and earth. And we can't expect something from heaven that we're not willing to do here. And there's so much in Torah and in Hasidus about that. But without getting into all of it, you want miracles? Act miraculous. What does acting miraculous mean? Acting miraculous means... It doesn't mean what you think it means, by the way. It means getting up every day when you'd rather not. It means smiling at someone when it feels impossible. It means saying any words to Hashem, whether they're davening or your own words. It's just speaking to Him when you feel wronged by Him. It feels wrong to even say that, wronged by Him. Because I said, how can you even say that about somebody who's literally given you life? I don't need to spell it out for people. I think that everybody in their own life knows what feels miraculous to them. Miraculous means pushing yourself. It means going out of your comfort zone. And that's not big sometimes, it's small. Can you imagine if that boomerangs back to us and God goes out of his natural comfort zone and just does a little miracle just because we went out of our
1: comfort zone? That's Mm. cool. Yeah, I hear that. You're saying we can initiate a miracle through stretching ourselves a little bit.
0: Yes, because heaven and earth mirror each other. And we lose sight of that sometimes. And I think that it's such a powerful and it gives us control back, which is actually what I want to talk about. So much of what I was thinking about the last few days is this need for control. And if you think, oh, whatever I throw up to the sky is going to fall back on me, right? It's the laws of gravity. So it's almost like, our destiny. It's almost like what Hashem sends us is in our control. It's whatever we throw up at Him. It's going to fall back down. So it gives us some semblance of control in how the way we, we behave it? and the way we act.
1: So you're saying when He hands us a life circumstances, we can choose to interpret it in a certain way, which will inform how He responds the next time?
0: Most certainly we can. I don't mean to say that I know this, but it's what I've learned and what I'm trying to believe. Because going back to how I started, like if we act beyond our nature, then we can expect him to act beyond his nature. What's his nature? Okay, nature in the world, the way he designed the world to run in its natural course. And if we want it to be outside of that, well, heck, we need to go outside our nature. But I think this control thing is a big deal for me and how it plays into my faith, especially after Mendel. I would never classify myself as a control freak. I mean, honestly, look around my house. I'm not a control freak <laughs> in any Pretty sense. Pretty, um, <laughs> But I've been noticing that I've been trying to control a lot of things in my life. And I think especially after Mendel, when I felt like a lot of control was taken away from me, and it's a terrible feeling, especially for a mother to not be in control of protecting her children. And the one little bit that was in our control or we thought was in our control, we had failed. So you have this. And again, I'm being a psychologist for myself when I'm thinking about this, because I think that this is where it's all coming from. I think that because of that, I desperately try and find things I can control with my family, with my kids, with my life, because I want to fix it. I don't want to fail again. I know, I know it's not in my hands. But the little bit that he lets me believe is in my hands, I hold on to really tight. And I think that bitachon is loosening that grip a little bit. And it's really hard. But the moments that I've been able to do that, it feels so good. It's like you feel like you're a child again. And your mother's hugging you going, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to call your teacher and explain it. And that feeling of like, oh, it's done. You don't need to worry anymore. So the few times that I've been able to do that, it's liberating. It's unbelievable.
1: That letting go. It feels amazing. Wow, Ita, that's so beautiful. To be able to experience that letting go and acknowledging that the reins are in Hashem's hands. It's not an easy thing to do. Would you be able to give any specific examples? from your life where you've experienced this feeling of surrender and I'm in Hashem's hands and it feels good?
0: In a lot of different ways throughout the years, but I'll be honest, it's not coming easy to me, which is why I continue to say that I really struggle with this. I didn't want to talk about COVID, but I think that with COVID, I think is a good example for me of letting go a little bit. I don't mean throwing caution to the wind because that's dumb. But we can fall into this pattern of thinking that we can control everything and we can't and we're supposed to do everything we can to succeed in areas, to protect ourselves and our family. But then you reach a point, you're like, okay, this is what I can physically and emotionally and psychologically do. And then you let go and you have to, otherwise you go cuckoo, you can't. None of us would be sleeping if we didn't let go. So I think that a lot of people are practicing this without even realizing it oh, because yeah. we have to, we literally don't have a
1: choice. Do as much as you can and then pick up your hands and say, okay, I did right. my God. Now right. it's your turn.
0: And again, it's terrifying to me, even though I know, I know, I know that I'm not in control. I know how good it's going to feel if I let go, but it's still terrifying. Our baby, Arya, who's seven, is our baby. He has the same medical condition that Mendel had. And I have to do this little balancing act of not being fearful around him, but constantly being afraid. And I know that it's a lack of faith, but I guess I have trust issues with God. I do. There, I've said it. (laughs) At least I have this relationship with him. If I didn't think that he was in charge of it all, I wouldn't have trust issues with him. I wouldn't have anything with him. I'm in this relationship, okay? We're struggling. We're in a difficult part of our relationship, but I'm here.
1: Wow. And I just want to say that even the fact that the upset is directed at Hashem is almost the ultimate act of trust that it's coming from him. Whereas, so like you said that very
0: beautifully. I think that's what I was trying to say. The fact that I'm mad at him means that I expect more. I love him. I want him. You don't get annoyed with your husband unless you really care about him and your relationship with him, right? Right. That's what deep loving relationships are. There's struggle, there's passion, there's intensity of feeling. That's what there is. So I'm feeling intensely sometimes about God.
1: Does trusting in him mean that you trust that he can do better for you in a revealed way?
0: No, I don't think so the real trust that I'm hoping to get to is knowing that no matter what I see here, it is good for me. I think that's the end goal, right? We bless each other all the time and we want blessings for ourselves of revealed brachos. We ask for things not to be hidden from us. And that just reminded me the last few weeks we've been hearing and seeing a lot of very beautiful thoughts that were shared by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs.
1: Right.
0: And I was reading, I think my computer must be listening to what I say and my thoughts, because I keep seeing things scrolling in different places about Rabbi Sachs and faith. <laughs> oh, wow. So I read something the other day that I'm pretty sure I'm going to make my new motto. And you just reminded me of it somehow. can't remember how. So Rabbi Sachs tells a story of an elderly rabbi who he was speaking to, who survived the Holocaust, but lost everybody. And he said to him, how can you continue to live a God-fearing life as an Orthodox Jew? Have you no questions of God? And the man says, of course I have questions. I have the kinds of questions that God would bring me up to heaven to answer if I were to ask them. And I'd rather be here with my questions than up in heaven with my answers. And Rabbi Sachs then said, faith is not living with certainty. It's the courage to live with uncertainty. And that kind of blew me away. Number one, because I felt validated. And maybe it's nice to hear, maybe it's nice to hear that there's a certain element of courage with uncertainty. (laughs) Because I feel like that's where I live a lot of the time. And then I literally a day later read another beautiful quote by Rabbi Sachs. And it said in Judaism, faith is wrestling with God, much like Jacob wrestled with the angel. And it's like what we just talked about, Tanya, where in a relationship, there's struggle, there's wrestling, there's intense interaction. Otherwise, there is no relationship. Right. There was something else I was going to mention, even though this doesn't naturally segue into it. But when I was talking about control. So, I mean, we know that even in secular thought, there's sayings to the effect of disappointment lies in that space between expectation and reality. And I think that that's very relevant to our relationship with Hashem. Like I mentioned that right at the beginning, how little expectation my mother has for herself and she's always happy with everything and grateful and constantly blessing Hashem for everything she has, constant. So I think less expectation, less need for controlling everything that happens opens up this big giant space for happiness and for seeing everything Hashem brings us. Something that I've been very fortunate to be able to do. And about just under two years ago, I started practicing as a birth doula and it's magnificent. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever Done. And I thank Hashem for a lot of the different things that came together for me to be able to do this, including just that Daniel's available and happy to pick up pieces when I disappear very suddenly for who knows how long. I don't know. I don't know. You, know, you never know. So I'm very, very lucky for all of that. And even before I became a birth doula, I've always felt very passionate and connected to birth probably because my mother's been doing this for 45 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My own birth experiences were just so beautiful and humbling. And I've just always felt connected to the birth process. And I've often talked about and written about how I feel like a lot of life often mirrors the labor and birthing process in a variety of ways. And one of the things that I was thinking about When I'm with these beautiful laboring mothers and each one in a different way and in a different form needs to control something around her while she's laboring and simultaneously at the same time, she knows with certainty that there's this whole bunch of stuff she can't control and she lets go of it and Hashem just catches her. Okay. I can control my breathing right? I mean, think about birth, think about life. I can control my breathing. I can control the lighting in the room and the temperature in the room. I can control that. I can control where I put my body and what movements I do with my body. And that's pretty much it. I can't control other stuff. So when I'm at these births, I think it's this beautiful dance between a mother and Hashem and the Shama, the soul that's struggling to get here. And Hashem gives us these little gifts of, here, I'll let you control this. Here, why don't you take this? Control that little part. Why don't you just control how you're breathing and let me handle the rest, Hashem says.
1: I love that. It's true. It's like there's this dance between our free choice and our circumstances. And God chooses our circumstances, but we can choose our reaction to them. And that's really empowering. And it's almost like there's a conversation that we're not hearing in
0: that room. And Maybe that's why it's so humbling to me, because when they say that there's three partners in the creation, in the birth of a child, mother, father, and Hashem, you feel it. Hashem's there. And if we take that and we say, okay, Hashem, my entire life, I'm going to be laboring. I'm going to be working. I'm going to be birthing this, and I'm going to be birthing that, and I'm going to be struggling to produce. And thank you for the little gifts of things that you let me believe I'm in charge of. Thank
1: you for those.
0: And I'll reciprocate and I'll let you have the rest.
1: Wow.
0: And I think that that's a lesson for me. I think that's very powerful.
1: A really beautiful connection between like human choice and circumstances that Hashem gives us.
0: Most certainly. Sometimes in a birth room, I will remind mothers of how strong they are and how to trust their body. And it's very calming for many people to be reminded of God created this body to do this. Trust it. Don't fight it. Trust it. And what if we flip this all on its head? What if I flip itachon right upside down and I say, what if trust is trusting ourselves? Can I trust my faith in Hashem? Can I trust myself to let go? What if we challenge that, especially for someone who's struggling or has struggled and it's either frightening or painful to let go, you have to build up trust again that I can physically, physically even, that I can trust. So I think bitachon is not just trusting that God can and will do all these magnificent things for us and for the world, but it's, can I trust that I can trust? It's almost like, I want to want, and that's a good place to be. Like, I want to trust Hashem. I want to let go.
1: I love that. I think Uh, intrinsically, so... Like intrinsic in that thought process is that God built me to be able to do this. And that trusting in yourself is trusting in the ability that God gave you to deal with what He's giving you.
0: So that's a really important point that I didn't even think about. Where, right, the tools. God didn't throw us into a lion's den with nothing, He didn't throw us here with nothing. How much did He give us? Tools. Yeah, we have to sift through them sometimes and find the right one that's going to fit that day and what I'm going through that day. Yeah, that's really beautiful too. Trust what Hashem gave you. Trust how Hashem designed you.
1: How do you incorporate this? I mean, I recognize that you gave many disclaimers, but I could also hear in the way that you're sharing about this, that these ideas are really true to who you are. I would love for you to share how you incorporate this, even for a single second in your day, this level of trust when Hashem, when you lost Mendel in the most surprising, unexpected, horrible way, really, what do you tell yourself or what do you do?
0: So I don't know if I have an answer that's going to directly answer your question. For me, I have to start with small things. It's like trust muscles that have been ripped apart, and I need to build them up again. So, I'm going to use my birth analogy again. We're taught as doulas that you have to know when enough is enough and when you've done everything you possibly can. Because sometimes it can be disappointing if you and your laboring mother have really done above and beyond what a human can do, and it ends up looking like she might need a C section, which is also a beautiful, miraculous way for a baby to be born. But sometimes you can be disappointed. The mother can be disappointed. So they tell you enough is enough. You've done everything you can possibly do. And I kind of feel a sense of that. Most nights, nights are scariest for me. Well, because I'm sleeping and I'm always afraid I might miss something. So you set more alarms because we feed REA during the night. And you pay for a phone service to have a call in the middle of every night, just in case, as a backup. And as you're falling asleep, you check your alarms again to make sure they're set. And if my body was not designed to need sleep, I probably would stay up all night. But I think every single night I have to say, I have done what I can do. I have to rely on Hashem. I don't have a choice. I don't know what I would look like if I thought I had a choice. I don't have a choice. And I, I have to. There's been many discussions slash arguments slash just kind of introspections. And it very, very much centers around what Emunah and bitachon look like. And whether trusting Hashem is expecting something supernatural or even on the edge of nature Or is trusting Hashem using every possible thing available to you, knowing that Hashem's messengers for good can come in any form? And it's both. And it's a serious struggle in me. I want to trust in complete supernatural. And then I argue, is that what Hashem even wants? Does he want us to expect that? I hope I haven't made anybody feel like I'm preaching or telling anybody what is possible or what can be done. Because for everybody, it looks different. Everybody's threshold of do everything you can and then let go, that timeline, that looks different for everybody. And for each person, each of their situations is going to be different. I think that's practically where I am right now that I'm trying to pick smaller areas of my life, more mundane areas, things that don't matter as much because I need to build up those muscles again. Everyday stuff, stupid stuff. I love that. Like I'm in a rush and I can't find my car keys and Arya's late for school, but he can't find his shoes. And- <laughs> 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 Of course he can't find his shoes. And let the- me tell you a secret that people might not tell you, even people who've been through the biggest tragedies or the biggest struggles- we still complain about the morning rush.
1: <laughs> not
0: by <laughs> any It's not mutually exclusive. Those things can coexist. Everything we're tremendously grateful for and everything that we've lost, it doesn't cancel. It doesn't suddenly make you into this superhuman who doesn't complain about anything. So that's right. another
1: disclaimer. So now that's occurring. Uh, I mean. The different planes. Well, yes. I mean it. Yeah. I'm curious to know if you feel like your perspective has changed over the years. Because you said you lost mental six years ago. Has my perspective changed? Over the years, yeah.
0: I mean, yes. So my perception of my control has changed, but for better and for worse, I, I now know how much Hashem is in control, but it hasn't yet translated into me giving it to Him. And Tanya talks about when somebody, well, now I feel bad bringing this up because it's talking about, Very righteous people in this example, which I'm not, but I'll just borrow some of the description to apply it where I am or what I'm feeling. So it says, Tanya, that when somebody leaps from one spiritual level to another, there's a nephila, there's a fall that happens. And I've always pictured it, I'm a very visual person, so I have to picture things. So I've always pictured it like Tarzan, like platforms on these huge pillars and you're on a platform, and you're about to swing or jump to the next platform. And during the swinging, there is nothing. You are vulnerable. And in a way, you're free, but it's a very dangerous place. You could fall. You do fall because you've left the place you were, but you're not yet in the place you're going. And sometimes I feel like that, that I know that potentially my prayer is that, I land in a place stable, but there's this vulnerable place I'm in now where I feel like I'm swinging and there's just air and in a way it's free, but it's not secure. So I've left, like I said before, at the beginning, when we started talking, I feel like I've left the place of a stable, but immature spot in my relationship with Hashem. It was fine. It was good, but it was shallower. And I really want to get to the deeper place. And I don't know why he threw me off that place just to see if I could fly or fall. I'm not sure yet which one I'm going to end up doing. But again, there's so much. We could spend another hour talking about all the things that Hashem has given us in our life that I don't know how we've come to deserve. All the beautiful things. It's too much to even list all the brachas that we have. So I guess that's where I am. I'm in that space in between shallow, comfortable, and deeper comfortable and stable. And I have to rebuild a lot of my muscles in trust. And I think that it probably, my trust issues with Hashem have kind of bled a little bit into people also. I try and control things, especially to do with the health of my children, a little neurotic sometimes. But I think I need to slowly, very slowly, and in very manageable bites, have trust in the littlest things in my life. That if things don't go the way they're supposed to go today, if I get a virus (laughs) and the next few weeks look different than what I thought they would, you know what? I need to trust him because I want to.
1: I love that you're giving these small examples because for someone like me, who's literally Listening open mouthed to you speak like this, truly, it's hilarious to me how many times you mentioned how human you are, how human you are, how human you are, because I'm just hearing these concepts coming from your mouth and they hit different. They hit really differently because they're coming from someone who's experiencing it. And even if you aren't perfect and will never again land in a comfortable place with Hashem, there's no question that you're really living with a trust that transcends your life circumstances. And the fact that you say that you work on it in small areas of your life gives me hope that I can tap into Ita's Bitachon in a small way.
0: But I think Ita said, I need to work on it in small areas of my life. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you succeed sometimes. (laughs) Okay, but to give both of us credit and everybody credit, we practice Bitachon in more circumstances than we probably even realize. Because otherwise, we'd be crazy people. We wouldn't function as people, as spouses, as mothers, and as friends if we didn't let go constantly. We're constantly letting go of things to Hashem, letting Him take care of them that doesn't even register. And I think if we opened our eyes a little bit and paid a little more attention, we could probably come up with a little list of, wow, I let go of that today, and I let go of that today. Wow, that's a pretty good day. Maybe we need to do more of that because then we'll trust ourselves more to trust him. Like I said before, maybe we need to build up on in ourselves in order to have more on in him.
1: Mm, I like that. <sighs> Thank you, Ita. Wow. wow. Thank you, Tanya. I'm very grateful
0: that you invited me and I love talking about Mendel. So this gave me another reason.
1: Let's dedicate this to Mendel. I would like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Letting me in to that intimate space. It's so personal and runs really deep. So thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, your feedback on the ideas discussed here is so meaningful, both to me and the person interviewed. So please don't hesitate to reach out. I was really struck by the imagery of the nighttime that Ita gifted us with. Each person's nighttime looks different. That moment in your life or throughout your day When you are called upon to surrender your control to God, he wants you to surrender. He knows you've done the best you could. He says, go to sleep, I'm holding you. Bitachon doesn't erase suffering or anxiety, but when you've made every vessel and set all the alarms, Bitachon allows you to put your head down on the pillow. It allows you to put your life in his hands.